Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The Warriors may have won the NBA Finals, but the Stanley Cup is still up for grabs. Colorado and Tampa are dueling it out for hockey's ultimate prize. BetOnline has you covered with all of the props, odds, parlays, and lines for the rest of hockey's playoffs. Use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up. BetOnline, where the game starts. Buddy, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Memes of the Weekend podcast here on the Take It Easy podcast. It is June 20th. According to my count, it may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever you may be listening. We have just got a whole bunch of Lazy River topics coming at you today. We're just going to throw stuff at the wall, see what sticks, and move along here today on the show. We're going to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. We're going to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. We're going to talk about the San Antonio Spurs. We're going to talk about Greg Popovich. We're going to talk about the new Drake album, because every now and then we do music reviews on this uh, fine podcast. And uh, that's one that I would like to talk about, because for people who don't know, three of the last five years, Drake has been my number one Spotify wrapped artist. So we'll talk about music. We'll talk about sports. We'll talk about all kinds of stuff. We'll talk about perspective. We'll talk about about, well, I guess music again, because we have some parody songs to play. We'll do all of that coming up here on the podcast. I begin by talking about the Golden State Warriors, because the Golden State Warriors won the NBA championship, and I want to talk about the Golden State Warriors, because it's the timely topic in all of sports right now. And I don't want to do the thing where we kind of like skip past the championship and go right to the transaction talk, because... The Golden State, because what's the point of doing the whole exercise if we can't enjoy the championship for at least a couple of days before we move on to the conversation about the offseason, specifically the Warriors offseason? Like, we can talk about Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. We can talk about Miami and Boston and Memphis and whether Zach Levine is going to sign with the Spurs or not. We can do all that stuff on the external sides of basketball talk, and it's better to do it with our friends also. It's more fun to talk about that with our friend DSD or Gage Bridgeford, or Morgan from Australia, or Blake Jude, or all our friends here on the podcast. But what I wanted to talk about here with the Warriors, without doing transaction talk, is the Golden State Warriors have had this incredibly strange model of success, where the past two years they tanked and got all of these top picks that will hopefully help keep them young for years and years, And none of them actually helped contribute to the championship. Now, if Golden State was in a position where they were going to not be the team that spends $300 million in the luxury tax, which is close to $50 million more than the next closest team, then then maybe it would change the math there a little bit for Golden State. 
but everyone, you probably heard the the luxury tax victories being thrown around a lot in the playoffs about how the, the Warriors essentially paid like a $60 million tab on Andrew Wiggins because Andrew Wiggins was about $30 million on their contract and because it put them over the salary cap or because it put them over the luxury tax threshold with Wiggins' contract, the Warriors ended up paying an extra $30 million on Wiggins' contract and it was a repeater penalty, so etc. They added their luxury tax bill and ultimately the Warriors paid a heavy luxury tax more than any team in the league by like $50 million, more than the Los Angeles Clippers, more than the Milwaukee Bucks, more than like any other team relative to the luxury tax. And I don't want to talk about that part of it because it's been hashed on enough and there's not really a lot of intrigue there. But I did a YouTube video, and you can find it on our YouTube channel, about Draymond Green. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about whether Draymond Green's going to be back with the Warriors and whether Golden State's going to break up their core of players. But in the video, I kind of put together a few trade packages for Draymond Green. And one of the ones that I found interesting was what the Washington Wizards had. For context, you can watch the full video, but I basically put three trades together. One of them was Terrence Ross and Jonathan Isaac for Draymond Green. One was just a straight-up swap of John Collins for Draymond Green, which I think would be fun because Atlanta needs that defensive interior guy, and Atlanta is ran by Travis Schlentek, who was Bob Myers' number two in the front office when they drafted Draymond Green. But the one that I thought was most interesting was if they went to Washington and built a package around Kyle Kuzma and him being kind of like a stretch four to fit into Draymond Green, but he can shoot. And then they also added Corey Kispert, who was Washington's first round pick last year, who averaged like seven points a game this year. You may remember him from Gonzaga. And they to make the money match, they would also get Daniel Gafford who would kind of slide into the Kavon Looney role. Now, maybe sacrificing Draymond Green to add in all these pieces makes you a worse team and you'd rather just use money instead of a trade for Draymond Green. That's an entirely real possibility. But what it reminded me about is something that I touched on briefly here and also on some of our Instagram pages like Court Access and the Take It Easy Pod Instagram feed and our new Twitter, all of those you can subscribe to with the link in the description to this episode. No, this whole segment is not a shameless plug for all the other work we're doing. It's just acknowledging that we do have a lot of work that we're working on. What I wanted to talk about is the Golden State Warriors made the worst draft decision of the last four years. And it didn't even matter in the end with them winning the championship. In the 2020 NBA draft, the Golden State Warriors took James Wiseman at pick two. LaMelo Ball went pick three. LaMelo Ball is a 21-year-old all-star. And the argument everyone was making at the time, and you can go back and find the, the podcasts on this, I guess. I don't remember when we would have talked about it, but... The thing I was saying is, if you think LaMelo Ball is a better player than James Wiseman, you take LaMelo Ball and you figure out fit later. There's no reason to force yourself into James Wiseman because you need a big. You take the best available player and then you figure the rest out later. And normally it works out in your favor. Like Sometimes it bites you in the butt like Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook, at the time of the trade, is a better player than Kyle Kuzma or KCP or Montrez Harrell. I understand why they make that move. And what's interesting about that move is it still 
produces a team that you could argue is better, but they have enough stars already. If you're Golden State, the Lakers are the the weird exception, and it might still work out next season. If you're Golden State, just take LaMelo Ball, have him play like a de facto shooting guard, or have Curry move to shooting guard, or whatever you want to do. Just get him involved in that offense and build it out from there. There's no way that LaMelo Ball is going to be a negative to your basketball team. And I've heard people make that argument when I laugh at the idea of taking Wiseman over Ball. In hindsight, yes, there was an argument to be made for both players. And for people who don't know, James Wiseman played like 40-something games his rookie year and then missed all of last season due to injury. And it looks like this is going to be one of those Marvin Bagley type of draft decisions for the Golden State Warriors, because most people are looking at James Wiseman, they're like, eh, not really much to, to work with there for seven foot one guy with funky knees. And I would have pounded on the table for LaMelo Ball if you knew that LaMelo Ball was going to be that caliber of player, because putting him in that offense would have worked out great. I've heard people push back against that. I'm like, one, we are obviously playing the hindsight game on this one. And two, yeah, you you put him in the system and it works out because it can't be a negative. There's simply no way LaMelo Ball is going to be a negative for the Golden State Warriors because all he has to do is be better than net zero. That's what James Wiseman was, net zero. The Warriors went through a pandemic season with no Steph Curry, no Klay Thompson. Draymond Green sat out for like over half the season. The pandemic happened. They didn't make the bubble. They all got to rest up after a full... <laughs> five years of going back to back to back to back to back in the NBA finals. And the, the product of that was supposed to be that number two pick. It's the pick that no team ever gets. You never, ever get that kind of luck where you go to five straight NBA finals and you get the chance to draft a generational star with your next pick in the draft. Now, I'm not saying LaMelo Ball's a generational star, He just made an all-star team at 21 years old. And usually those types of players are headed for some sort of Hall of Fame level greatness. Or at the very least, they'll be one of the best players of their generation. If I'm trying to map out what this next generation is going to look like, it's going to be Luka Doncic and Anthony Edwards and Zion and John Morant and Trey Young. And LaMelo is going to fit somewhere into that picture. Where he's going to fit in, I'm not 100% sure yet, especially playing on those Charlotte Hornets teams that can't really put high-caliber talent around him. I'm not exactly sure where LaMelo fits into that picture. If he ends up on the Warriors, the Warriors are set for 10 years plus. It reminds me of the Spurs story, which is a documentary that I'm working on, and I'll talk about that a little bit later and drop the first episode on Wednesday. But it's interesting how they passed on that and they still won the championship. And ultimately, this is a thing that gets talked about in baseball a lot, but I kind of want to bring it back to basketball here because basketball is a salary cap sport. But if you don't operate like you're salary capped, then it's no longer a salary cap sport. Having money makes it such that when you make mistakes, you can basically write them off and say, oh, our bad, we're still going to be fine. The year the Boston Red Sox won the World Series, they had the highest payroll in baseball, and they straight up cut Hanley Ramirez at the start of the season. The start of 2018, they straight up cut Hanley Ramirez and still won the championship. And that was a year before they straight up cut Pablo Sandoval. 
who was making like twenty million a year. Hanley Ramirez was making like twenty four million dollars in twenty eighteen. They just said, "Whoops, our bad. We're just going to cut him," and it doesn't matter. If a team like the Pirates had a situation like that, they just have to eat crow and keep paying that contract. Baltimore did that with Chris Davis. Remember Chris Davis? He got like a seven-year, $170 million contract and immediately fell off the face of the earth. Baltimore couldn't just write off that contract like Boston did. They just had to keep paying Chris Davis until he retired in a sad, sad ending to his career. Money buys you more opportunities to fail. That's the competitive advantage of having resources, is you can just write them off as losses and keep advancing. The Golden State Warriors basically wrote off James Wiseman as a loss, brought in Andrew Wiggins, kept the machine rolling as it was, and they still won a championship. Albeit a championship in an incredibly weak Western Conference, the Golden State Warriors are a legitimate champion because Steph Curry's one of the five best players in the NBA. And it just, it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that they made that terrible move. So if they swing a deal for Draymond and get like Kuzma and Kispert and whatever else, and if they can bring back real value on Draymond Green, or if they just get real value out there in free agency, because I know Jordan Poole's a free agent and everyone's talking about like money's not going to be an issue with Jordan Poole. They'll dish out $25 million for Jordan Poole. When I'd look at that and I'd be like, hey, you've got a better chance of finding another Jordan Poole. You've got a better chance of finding another one of those than you are to locking in $25 million and having him just be Harrison Barnes. You found it. By the way, you found another Harrison Barnes. It's Jordan Poole. You can find more of those somewhere down the line, especially when you're Golden State and you've proven time and time again you're good at developing people. That's what Moses Moody is for. That's what Cumbucket is for. Jonathan Kaminga, for people who don't know, he's got the best nickname in the NBA, Cumbucket. That's what cum buckets for. That's what Moses Moody's for. It was supposed to be what James Wiseman was for, and it could have been what LaMelo Ball is for, is that you supplement the old guys with a nice young core. And maybe the Warriors, it won't matter because they can just spend exorbitant amounts of money on Wigginses and Pools and Kuzmas and Harrison Barneses and Harrison Barnes types. Maybe it'll all work out in the end. It just isn't it funny that they made Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic decision and it just didn't matter. They still won the championship even though they made the worst draft decision of the last the worst draft decision of a generation. Let's call it that. Of a of every 5 years is a generation. It's the worst draft decision anyone's going to make this generation. It's Darko over Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony and Chris Bosh. It is has seemed to beat over James Harden and Steph Curry. It is Anthony Bennett. Uh, I guess there wasn't really a great player in that draft class, but the point still stands. It's drafting Anthony Bennett. It's passing on Joel Embiid. It's drafting Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. It, it's that type of horrid decision that the Warriors made to draft James Wiseman, and it just didn't matter. I Isn't that ridiculous? And, and that's what resources buy you. That's what not playing by the same rules as everyone else buys you when you're quote-unquote light years ahead like Joe Lacob said, which isn't necessarily light years ahead. It's just willing to buck up against the NBA grain and spend money over the luxury tax. Antler Jaw score. The ball slipped out his hand. Cat and them boys. 
They won't give a damn. They cheer playing games. Like they just won the crown. Nothing can bring, can bring Minnesota down. The Ant-Man drives down. D-D-Lo's gotta kick, D-Lo's gotta kick it out. The Ant-Man's 21. And no, no, nothing can break. You can't break him down. 12 years in the tank. Bed flops like a plank. We got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Two years in the game, and he's a household name. We got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. When it comes to Wiggins, they never learned. And then Jimmy Butler left all the kids burned. The only way they get talent is the top of the draft. Torian Prince and Malik Bees Lee, the Ant-Man's 21. No, no, nothing can break. You can't break him down. 12 years in the tank. Bev flops like a plank. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Cat shot, make it rain. GM's affairs in the way. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man Twelve years in the tank Bev flops like a plank Got news for you baby and Edwards is the man Fifteen years away From headed to the Hall of Fame Got news for you baby And Edwards is the man All right, all right, all right. Let's talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. And any chance we get to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves is a chance to play that amazing parody song with the Ant-Man that I hope holds up, which, I mean, Ant Edwards and Cat should be on the team for a while. And indeed, their GM did get fired for having an affair in the office. So those things will stand. But I heard D'Angelo Russell might be on the trade block, which is a little unfortunate. But it also brings up the point I wanted to talk about here today about the Minnesota Timberwolves. Because if you follow us on Twitter or on Instagram or on any of our social media platforms, you may have seen that we went viral this weekend by posting about the Minnesota Timberwolves. So after the NBA Finals ended, something kind of clicked in my head that was like, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves now have had the three best players in their franchise's history all leave and go win championships with other teams. And you could even factor in like Latrell Sprewell going to Indiana during that finals run in 2000. But like, let's just focus on the three best players the franchise has ever had, which the Ant-Man might be the person who ends up supplanting them, but no guarantee that he stays in Minnesota either. 
Kevin Garnett, Kevin Love, Andrew Wiggins. You can kind of tell the history of the Minnesota Timberwolves with those three players. So Kevin Garnett gets drafted in, I want to say it was 1996 that Kevin Garnett gets drafted by Minnesota. It was indeed 1995. Sorry, 1995 was when Kevin Garnett got drafted by the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Minnesota Timberwolves became an NBA franchise in 1990. So there you go. The Minnesota Timberwolves were an expansion team for the first five years, six years of their career. They didn't really have anything. Team almost moved to New Orleans in 1994. And yeah, the Minnesota Timberwolves were really, really bad for those first few years. But basically, 1995, they get Kevin Garnett. Okay, boom. Enter Kevin Garnett. They also had Stephon Marbury, whatever. Kevin Garnett, best player on the team, wins MVP, you know, signs a massive extension, wins an MVP, Hall of Famer, 50 greatest players in the history of the NBA, all that stuff. And Kevin Garnett leaves to go, or I guess he was kind of forced out, but Kevin Garnett, after 14 years, wins an MVP. They make a conference final. He gets traded to the Boston Celtics wins an NBA championship. They they immediately get Kevin Love after the fact. Kevin Love was drafted in, I want to say 2010, maybe? 2008, sorry. Kevin Love gets drafted in 2008. Kevin Garnett got traded in 2007. So literally they go Garnett 2007, Kevin Love 2008. 2008 to 2014, Kevin Love. Kevin Love gets traded. They immediately get Andrew Wiggins. So... This is exactly how their franchise has continued for the past 25 years is 50 or no 10 years of Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett gets traded to Boston. The trade to Boston one year later makes them bad enough to get the number five pick in the draft that allows them to pick Kevin Love. Boom. They get Kevin Love. Kevin Love's there for six years. He gets traded for Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is there for six years, always the good but not great player, and then goes to the Golden State Warriors and becomes the second best player on a champion team. Kevin Garnett, arguably the best player on a champion team. Kevin Love, third best player on a championship team. This technically means that you can make the argument, and I will make the argument right now, that The Minnesota Timber, I always talk about minor league franchises or perpetually mediocre franchises. The Minnesota Timberwolves are literally a minor league basketball team. The Minnesota Timberwolves develop players to then go to other teams and win championships. That is technically the definition of a minor league basketball team. They bring in basketball players, develop them, they leave Minnesota, and go win championships. If I told you that Minnesota in this equation was a G League team, would kind of check out, right? Like, you you bring in young players, develop them, they leave to play for another team, and they go win championships on those teams. That is a really, really good developmental system. But when you pour billions of dollars into a developmental system, of course you're going to be really good at developing players. And if you play in a league where it's incentivized for the worst teams get the best picks, Minnesota is the classic example of you can't be bad forever. Eventually, you just fuck up enough that you end up with some number one picks and get talented players on your team. 
statistically speaking, every 50 years, you're going to get an MVP in the draft just by messing around and getting one. Minnesota got that with Kevin Garnett. They got a possible future Hall of Famer in Kevin Love, and they got Andrew Wiggins, who's now looking less like a bust than he used to be when he was the number one pick who couldn't do shit in Minnesota. Minnesota takes talented players, develops them for years, and then gets rid of them for less than market value because anything they get back is never going to reach their full potential in sad Minnesota. It's kind of a perpetual cycle of a minor league team. And you know what? Sometimes it's fun to root for minor league teams. In English soccer, they have this concept of minor league teams competing in the first tier where they're never going to be Liverpool. They're never going to be a team like Everton, not Everton, Liverpool or Chelsea or Man City or Man United or any of those teams who are always good, Tottenham, whoever you want to put at the top, you know. Every now and then there's a Leicester City who's, you know, one in a thousand or one in a hundred thousand chance of winning the Premier League, but ultimately you've got almost no chance of one of these small market teams ever actually being good. And the NBA and the MLB, they've got those. It's Minnesota, it's Sacramento, in Major League Baseball, it's Pittsburgh, Barry Bonds, classic example there. Andrew McCutcheon actually made them good. He didn't do much after leaving Pittsburgh, but the point still stands. Like, minor league teams exist in all of these sports. In football, there's a shit ton of them. I mean, we just saw the Detroit Lions this year. Matthew Stafford was there for 12 years, never won a playoff game, goes to the Rams, immediately wins a championship. They get him for less than market value, and he immediately wins a championship. Like, these these teams exist in all kinds of sports. I've been calling them perpetually mediocre. I think I should start calling them minor league franchises. And by the way, I love, love, love rooting for minor league franchises. I love that the minute... I've talked about so much. The, my favorite moment of the year was the Minnesota Timberwolves chucking jerseys and jumping on tables and crying and hugging loved ones after they knocked the Clippers out of the playoffs. Because again, your entire existence is to be a minor league franchise. The only times in the history of the Timberwolves franchise that they have eliminated a team from the playoffs was when Latrell Sprewell needed to feed his family with his $9 million contract and when Kevin Garnett won an MVP. That's the only times they've ever advanced in the playoffs. Minnesota's made two playoff appearances in 20 years. They exist as a minor league team for other teams to get developed players. At least they get the players, too. Like, you could be like Sacramento, who just is a dog shit franchise that can't even get the players, because even when they have a chance to get the top players, they draft Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. So Minnesota is a classic example of you, you mess around long enough and eventually you're going to get talented players and you're going to develop those talented players to go win championships on other teams. This is the classic case of the Detroit Lions in the NFL and it's the case of the Minnesota Timberwolves in the NBA. They are a minor league franchise, a minor league franchise who damn it if I ain't rooting for them because I know how it feels to root for minor league franchises. I rooted for the Lakers in the 2000s. They had or 2010s. During that decade, the Lakers had a worse record than the Minnesota Timberwolves. Remind you, the Minnesota Timberwolves did not make the playoffs during that entire stretch of time. I know how it feels. I've rooted for the Padres. I live in Sacramento. It's really fun to root for minor league teams every now and then. 
So Minnesota, your entire you could tell the entire history of their franchise through three players, and all three of those players left Minnesota and immediately won championships. Garnett took them one year, Kevin Love took them two years, Andrew Wiggins took them three years, and or I guess technically two and a half for Wiggins, and that's the entire existence of your franchise. Sad, but it's only sad if you look at it through the lens of actually trying to compete like an actual NBA team. You should look at it through the lens of, we are a minor league basketball team that happens to play major league talent. And by the way, unlike English soccer, there is never the fear of being relegated. The NBA's created a system where if you're bad enough, eventually you'll get another talented player whom you can love and care for for five to seven years before they go win a championship with another team. Garoppolo drops back to throw. You're gonna lose the game. The seasons come and seasons go. The Niners need a change. If you don't throw check downs, you're gonna take a sack. Jimmy G is warming up. Yeah, he's your quarterback. No, don't throw it. Interceptions drive us all insane. Phones are calling. Ron Rivera wants to make a trade. If a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up. They got your quarterback. They say he's smart, and he wins games. That don't mean a thing. If since week one, Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding, talent's what you lack. Trade two picks for Jimmy G. Now he's your quarterback. Ah, yes, the parody song we made back in January, February, that now, five months later, has still held up because Jimmy Garoppolo is still a San Francisco 49er and still, somehow, has not been traded. So we promised you, anytime we do this Memes of the Weekend podcast, we would have a Jimmy Garoppolo update. Although, since last week, there hasn't been any new developments on the Jimmy Garoppolo front or subway commercials that we can laugh at with his Italian grandmother 
But we do have the news that the shoulder surgery for Jimmy Garoppolo is going to keep him out of training camp, and that's not a new development at this point. The shoulder surgery is probably going to take four to six months to heal, and that's kind of going to kick the can down the road. I don't know why Garoppolo waited until March to have shoulder surgery. Maybe in part it was because he thought he was going to get traded, but teams would have had access to his medical records anyways, so... Yeah, just just altogether a little bit confusing. 49ers obviously they can cut him and and get no dollars guaranteed. That's that's part of the contract is it's 27 million but none of it's guaranteed. So if they cut him, they don't pay anything, but as we've talked about before, the Niners don't have any place to spend that money, so they're just kind of hanging on to Jimmy G and hoping that they can flip it for draft picks or something like that. I don't know. It's just a really weird situation that we'll just keep playing that song for the next few months. Um, all right, let's do music review. Let's do music review now on the podcast. Um, so Drake dropped a surprise album over the weekend to which um, I, I don't know who posted it on Twitter, but someone was talking about Light Skin Summer because Steph Curry won the championship and Drake's dropping a new album and uh, the Drake album was, I mean, most people kind of viewed it as a dud. I think Bradley Beal had the great joke of he called it honestly never mind, and I think he meant it in the way that he created the album. And, you know, I, I guess the comparison I was making is to the Post Malone album that kind of dropped, I guess, two weeks ago, but, you know, relatively similar time, was that Post Malone had all kinds of people join him on the album, including like some big name people right now. I mean, Post Malone's a big name person. Like he's got 56 million monthly listens on Spotify. So like Post Malone's one of the like 10 most famous or 15 most famous artists in the world right now. But like I was referencing like his album had Roddy Rich, it had Doja Cat, it had Gunna, it had the Kid Leroy who had the number one song for like 20 weeks. The weekend, obviously, it was a single with the one that's like, well, I can't sing too much of it, but one right now, the one right now. Uh, so obviously, like that. I mean, the weekend, Kid Leroy, Gunna, Doja Cat, and Roddy Rich. That's like three of them are the five biggest artists in the world right now, and Roddy Rich and Gunna are probably two of the most famous rappers in the world right now. So like, added a whole bunch of people. This was his first album in three years. And Drake was dropping an album off of nine months from his last one, which we reviewed on this podcast, by the way, if you want to go all the way back to September of 2021. It was like right before football season when we went to Tampa. And it was it was a good album. I, I think I added like 20 songs from it to my playlist. But by comparison, Drake didn't really have anyone on this album besides himself. And even when it was himself, he wasn't really singing that much, which is most of the, the complaints people had was that it was a lot of like Tecmo 2012 type of music, but it didn't have a lot of lyrics to it. And Drake can get away with songs like that where he doesn't have a lot of lyrics. Like, um, you know, that song from the last album that's like way too sexy. That one has future in it, obviously, so, like, that changes the math a little bit on the, the song, but, like, Drake doesn't sing very much in that song, so, like, he can get away with that type of song and still have it be a banger. It was just a whole lot of that and never broken up because it was just all him on the album until you get to the very end where he has the one song with 21 Savage that seems like it was a reject from Certified Lover Boy, but... 
it was still the one that's like by far the most popular song right now. And I know a lot of people are pointing to that and being like, this is the thing that Drake is good at and therefore he should do that over and over and over again. And I think it was just this album was kind of rushed. I don't know why it was the case and I, I don't really know enough about Drake or music to speculate why, but he literally announced the album dropped four hours before the album dropped and it was all him singing on the album and it just there wasn't a lot of substance to it there were a couple songs that i liked but it just wasn't really any substance to it and that's kind of disappointing just because i love drake and i have like 70 of his songs on my playlist but it ended up having me go down a, a loop yesterday with roddy rich and listening to young thug and i guess even 21 savage because the song jimmy cooks did go down a little 21 savage but 21 savage is pretty good on this track i will say but um just kind of had me going down the loophole because i liked most i mean certified lover boy had like 21 songs on it and i think i added like 16 of them to my playlist like it was a really good album and this one was just not that but it wasn't supposed to be that it was announced nine months after his last album which i think might be i mean he's only released seven studio albums so i'm guessing it's probably the shortest time frame between studio albums for drake if i had to guess i'm not 100 percent sure but let's see it was certified lover boy 21 dark lane demo tapes was start of 2020 um scorpion 2018 more life 2017 so maybe the difference between more life and that one was 2017 views 2016 what a time to be alive i don't know if if you're reading this it's too late was a studio album but Anyways, those are all Drake's, I guess, well, I guess this is his seventh studio album, but uh, this one was just kind of rushed. I think that was kind of the point behind it, and it wasn't supposed to be his best album ever because there wasn't a a lead-up to it. It was just kind of putting out music for whatever the reasons are that he just put out an album without any prompting to it and without any guests on the track and him not actually singing that much. So disappointed, but not angry the way that other people are about it. Well, I don't understand that part of it, but yeah, it wasn't really good. I think that's the best way I can describe it. So I wanted to wrap up today's podcast by talking about a documentary project that I am working on. So I am going to be making a five-part documentary series for SB Nation, And I'm very excited to drop it in the next week or so. I just finished working on the first episode this weekend uh, after the NBA draft. It's going to come out. If you listen Wednesday, I'm going to preview part of the show on the podcast. And then the Wednesday after that is going to be the first full episode of this podcast. And I'm going to release all the episodes on this feed. It's going to be every Wednesday through July, I guess last week of June, all the way through July. And the topic I want to talk about is one that I find really, really fascinating, which is Kawhi Leonard and the San Antonio Spurs and Greg Popovich and that whole saga that went down around 2018 that led to Kawhi Leonard getting traded. And four years later, we now know is is the effective end of 30 years of dominance for the San Antonio Spurs as they go from David Robinson to Tim Duncan with Parker and Ginobili and Bruce Bowen to the team that won the championship in 2014 with Kawhi Leonard winning finals MVP and all the old pieces 
and then they transitioned from Duncan to the last remnants of Parker and Ginobili, and they had Danny Green, and the San Antonio Spurs effectively ended during that season with Kawhi Leonard, where everything was just crazy. And I'm surprised that no one talks about that when we look. I mean, maybe it's the thing with the Spurs where everyone thinks the Spurs are boring. But, like, we have the greatest run of success in the history of professional basketball combined with one of the five best players in the NBA of the last 12 years and a player who fell out of love with a dynasty that felt like it was bigger than basketball and ended up nuking the entire thing at the very end. Like I find that infinitely fascinating and I'm surprised that there hasn't been more discussed about this in part because the San Antonio Spurs were always a quiet dynasty and Kawhi Leonard was a quiet superstar. And because there's not a lot of, because LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry suffocate a lot of the air, Kawhi Leonard doesn't get that same level of love despite the fact that he was the the best player on two different champion teams. And he doesn't quite fit into an era of NBA history between Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry and LeBron James. He, he won a championship between LeBron and Kevin Durant where he was kind of the best player, but it was a team ball thing and all that stuff. And won a championship five years later in the era in between Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and what would become the Giannis generation. And I was so fascinated by this, in part because Kawhi Leonard's my favorite athlete that has ever existed in sport. Patrick Mahomes probably right up there, but like my favorite athlete anywhere in sports. I grew up in San Diego. At San Diego State was like five minutes away from where I lived. I'd go watch Kawhi Leonard play basketball. And I'm really fascinated by this story. And so turning it into a five-part documentary is something I'm really excited about. And I conclude that if Toronto was good enough to win the 2019 championship without Steph Kerr, or without Kevin Durant and eventually without Klay Thompson, I think the spurs of LaMarcus Aldridge and Danny Green and whatever was left of that team with Kawhi Leonard would have been good enough to win the NBA championship that year. I'm not saying they would have. I'm saying they would have been good enough to have won the championship with Kevin Durantless Golden State in 2019. And that's a sixth championship that should have belonged in San Antonio. And instead, it's sitting up in Canada. A championship that, if they don't mess up 2018 the way they did, probably ends up in San Antonio. Maybe Kawhi Leonard leaves anyways. It just would have postponed the inevitable decline of the Spurs and possibly got them one more championship or one more deep playoff run if they had just had different perspective. And I always held that against Popovich for years in doing research. My, my opinion has shifted a little bit, and we'll talk about that in the full documentary as it comes out over the next few weeks, I guess the next month plus. Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk about here was one of the conclusions that I'm not sure how it'll work into episode five because I haven't made episodes two, three, four, and five yet. One of the things I wanted to talk about is when all is said and done and we're looking back at legacy, do we celebrate what still exists or do we celebrate what once was? Because we have this thing that exists in our society where 
when people get to be old or when people reach the last stages of their professional career, it's common for us to spend time genuflecting on the success of that person and it, it, or, or that person spends time genuflecting and thinking about legacy and things of those sorts. And it goes against my truest of core values, which is this idea of the infinite game that Simon Sinek talks about, which is the idea that we operate in a world that has lots of infinite games where you remove the players, you remove the agreed upon rules, and your ultimate goal is to keep advancing. And your way of advancing is with you, you, in order to continue playing the game, you just have to have the will to continue advancing and the resources to continue playing the game. And I think Greg Popovich subscribes to this idea as well because he still has the will to coach despite the fact San Antonio is nowhere close to being competitive and everything that once was is now gone. And San Antonio, and he has the resources to do so because he's Greg Popovich. He's never going to be fired as head coach of the Spurs. And there's nothing that is going to deter him. And, and combined with the fact that um, Greg Popovich's wife passed away in 2018, which will also be a part of this story. And so it reminds me of how we think about people in old age. Because I was listening to a conversation the other day about the best coaches in the NBA. And people went to Eric Spolstra and they went to Ty Lu, and eventually people remembered Popovich because they had to kind of click in their head who are the coaches that are still coaching in the NBA. Some people even went to Brad Stevens before they remembered Popovich because you're just kind of going down the line of like, who are the best teams? Where are the best coaches? This is a lazy thing that we sometimes do in figuring out like coach of the year and such. And so Popovich is kind of just a living legend at this point when we think about who the best coaches are left in the sport. And the point of this story is if they had handled Kawhi Leonard correctly and with empathy and with care, perhaps the San Antonio Spurs still exist winning 50 games a year, maybe not winning a championship because there are players better than Kawhi Leonard, but good enough to win the championship in 2019, possibly good enough to win the championship in 2020 if they had brought in another star. Like this is an interesting dichotomy of are you celebrating what once was or are you celebrating what still is? Because Popovich could have had a legacy to pass along to whoever was going to come after him. Maybe it involved Kawhi Leonard being there for 15 years. Maybe not. Maybe this was a, a, a birthright that was written for Kawhi Leonard when he first joined San Antonio, and it wasn't what Kawhi Leonard wanted. I mean, clearly Kawhi Leonard went to Toronto, left Toronto to go to Los Angeles. Perhaps that was what Kawhi Leonard wanted all along, and that would have ultimately been what Kawhi Leonard pursued. It's just interesting to think about how some of these things are even beyond the organizational culture and beyond the pale. And so now when we think of San Antonio, we think about what once was. Now, four year, we're coming up on four years since the Kawhi Leonard trade. And I can't help but always stop to think about, we always talk about San Antonio in the past tense, not the present tense. I feel like it's part because San Antonio isn't succeeding, but it's also part of how we embrace old age and death a lot of people at the end of their careers and at the end of their lives are always 
pushed into thinking back about how things used to be. And I think that's part of why a lot of old people lean Republican in their political beliefs as well, is that it's a lot of yearning for a time of youth, yearning for a time when the world was at its best, instead of thinking about what the world is going to be in the future. And it's harder to do that simply because you're not going to be around for that future. Part of the infinite game is just continuing to advance until you lose the will or the resources. And the resources include life and money and a place to continue coaching. I know in research I saw they were joking about how Greg Popovich's dream at the end of his career would be to go to Europe and to coach uh, some Italian team and drink fine wine and uh, eat cheese and eat bread and all kinds of stuff like that. And like that's Popovich's ideal end is like coaching to the very end, but having like a cushy retirement coaching situation. And I thought that was interesting to talk about because Popovich has dedicated his life to this craft and dedicated his life to this basketball coaching world and, and learning this craft and continuing it as long as he can. And the Spurs are just never going to be competitive because they don't have a path to acquire a superstar the way they had David Robinson with the first pick, the way they got Tim Duncan in, in 1997, the way they got um, Kawhi Leonard in 2011 and then pivoted from Duncan to Kawhi being the best player. It was interesting how that worked out because for six generations of NBA basketball, the San Antonio Spurs were at least a base-level competitive. They never won a championship during the prime of David Robinson's career, and that didn't ultimately matter because the reason all of it began to exist was because of Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan won four championships, and then Kawhi Leonard got the fifth one, and Kawhi Leonard was going to get the sixth one, possibly in 2019. And Robinson coulda, shoulda, woulda won a championship in 95. Akeem Olajuwon and Michael Jordan happened to exist at the same time. It's the same dichotomy for Kawhi Leonard. He happened to exist at the same time as Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and LeBron James, who will all go down as greater basketball players. It, and Kawhi Leonard still managed to quote-unquote sneak two championships out of that entire run of success where, you know, LeBron... And, or the Warriors and the Cavs made the finals every single year between 2015 or 2014 and 2018. And Kawhi Leonard managed to quote-unquote sneak two championships out of that era of professional basketball. And all of it is so interesting. And that's why I'm making the story on this. But it feels like an indictment of how we think about things in the past. We think about what the Spurs once were because there's nothing to focus on what they are right now. And for Popovich, I mean, he, he still has the will and the resources to continue coaching, and, and he's going to probably continue for years. But it feels like, I mean, I, I've looked up Greg Popovich, and it's like, Greg Popovich retire, Greg Popovich successor, Greg Popovich will retire, Greg Popovich last season, if you type in Google. And it's like, you're just waiting for someone to end, that there's no story left to tell. There's nothing left to be gained. The wisdom has been used up. We're genuflecting at what the greatness was, but there's nothing left useful for Greg Popovich, and we're just waiting for him to move out of the game. And that feels kind of sad. And I think I'm more sympathetic to Popovich now than when I started looking through this project and when I took on the project with SB Nation. I, I think I now look at this more sympathetically to Popovich because he's he's like the last one who's like, turn out the lights on your way out. It's maybe R.C. Buford stays and continues the power structure in San Antonio, but 
it Popovich is looking up and it's like I'm I'm the last one out. Tim Duncan is retired, took a two years as a coach and ended up leaving. Um Tony Parker's gone, Manu Ginobili's gone, Bruce Bowen's gone, now Kawhi Leonard's gone, Danny Green is gone. Everything that was is no longer. And it's just Popovich being there like, hey, turn the lights out when you're done. It was a great 30 years. Congratulations. Now we're basically the Charlotte Hornets. And I made fun of Popovich and being like, the 10-9 the game in the Western Conference should be renamed after Greg Popovich because they failed to adapt with the times. Even DeRozan is gone. Even the, the 70 cents on the dollar that they got for Kawhi Leonard is gone now. They had three years of DeMar DeRozan and underachieved with him. And, and even that's gone now. And it's just, it's just weird. It's just heartbreaking. It, it's, it's making me feel more sympathetic to this story. And the full story will make more sense once we put it out over the next month or so. It's just interesting how we think about old people and how we think about people with the end of their careers. Because it feels like everyone's just waiting for Popovich to turn the lights out. We can we can genuflect one last time as like a memorial service, and that's it. When the Spurs, I mean, again, this is kind of the one of the cruxes of this story is like the Spurs were looked up to by like major corporations of like building a system of success, finding value within the margins, and having a mindset of a leader. And Popovich doesn't do the speaking tours or things like that. It's just so unique how they go about their business. And because they go about their business with the quiet Tim Duncan or the, the introverted Kawhi Leonard and Greg Popovich, who, I mean, as the story's going to tell, like didn't was not public about his wife's um, failing health in 2018 until she died. And he, he had to miss playoff games during that final Kawhi Leonard season. And all of it happened so quietly and in a small eastern texas town relative to the rest of the country like san antonio is a small market in the nba and doing this research has made me feel really interested by that whole team and that whole run and how popovich is a uniquely 20th century american story how he grew up to to i think it was croatian and i forgot the other country maybe it was slovakia slovakian and croatian parents and they were immigrants at the time of World War II. He's born outside of Chicago like Mike Krzyzewski and uses the military as a way for economic mobility. And it's it's just so interesting how Greg Popovich came to be who he is and all the wisdom he's accumulated over these years. And now we just kind of are like, hey, thanks for all the memories, I guess, even though we didn't actually like watching you in the NBA Finals because the Spurs always had the lowest rated NBA Finals during 1999, 03, Hey, thanks for all the memories, I guess. Just here, here's the keys. Turn the lights off when you're done. We're going to go do something else. And I find that interesting, the way that we treat him on the way out. And this is, again, coming from a story where I'm posting it of, like, the Spurs failed to evolve, the Spurs failed to adapt, they put Kawhi Leonard in a box and treated him like Tim Duncan, they defended what once was instead of what could be, they were all staring down the ends of their careers, and they failed the test with this amazing gift of Kawhi Leonard. And even so, it's just, it's sympathetic to the way that we treat people at the very ends of their careers. And... We just kind of move on and genuflect at their on their behalf and erect statues and retire jerseys and, and stuff like that. But there's so many lessons that are going to be lost from that Spurs dynasty 
because we just don't talk about it. 30 years of always making the playoffs, getting incredibly lucky, but then developing Tony Parker, developing Manu Ginobili, convincing Tim Duncan to stay in 2000 and spend his entire career in San Antonio. It's just, it's such a fascinating story. And I'm excited to discuss it a little bit more on this podcast. There's going to be a feed that comes out at some point. Hopefully, there's a link in the description to this episode with the feed to the podcast. I haven't checked to see if the podcast feed exists yet, but hopefully there will be a a podcast feed available for you to download at some point here on this podcast so that you can subscribe when we release all the episodes. But we're going to release them all here on Wednesdays for the next six weeks here on the Take It Easy podcast. I wanted to announce that here by talking about part of this story. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday. Occasionally we have wired up on Sundays. There's probably going to be less of that now that there's no no more basketball, no more football, unless there's a major story or something interesting that I talk about or an interview that we have probably not going to be much wired up for the next few weeks. Uh, thanks for all your continued support, by the way. We had a record-setting month in May, 8,000 downloads. It's a, a new record. We've already picked up 5,000 this month, so we're on pace for at least 7,000 this month. It's, it's really appreciated with all your support. Gives us fun opportunities to continue pursuing our dreams and um, I'll talk to you again tomorrow. We've got interviews coming up all week. Walter Mitchell's going to be here. Gage Bridgeford's going to be here. We're going to do an NBA draft show on Friday. It's all going to be very fun and uh, excited to share that with all of you. So take it easy, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>